Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 52. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into a sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Well, good morning, ACF Church. I'm so glad to see you here. Everybody online, we're grateful for you as well. Thank you for joining us as well. It has been a week, hasn't it? I'm telling you what, uh, some of these weeks have been easier than others for us personally, just for me personally. It's been a a challenging week, and uh, what I want to do is just stop for a moment, and can we just bow our heads and ask God to meet us in this place? So wherever you're at online, would you just bow your heads, and let's just ask God to meet us. God, sometimes we just need a moment to remember that we're not alone. And we need to remember that you've never been surprised by the challenges and circumstances that we find ourselves in. And Father God, that even when we aren't faithful, you always are. So we declare that in this room today, that you are faithful and that, God, you want to complete the work that you've begun in our hearts. So we were just pleading with you, God, would you touch us today? Could we encounter the living God today? Would you restore what's been lost in our hearts? 
Would you heal what's been broken? Would you renew us and make us whole, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm not sure it's worth it. I don't know if you've ever said that before. Uh, Over the past five months or so, have you just thrown your hands in the air and said, I think I want to quit? I think I'm just done. I'm not sure it's worth the effort. Um, And that statement, I'm not sure it's worth it, is a, a statement of cost versus benefit, isn't it? I mean, I'm always in my life trying to figure out, like, is this worth it? Is the cost worth what I'm going to experience or get from whatever I'm investing in anything that I'm doing? And there is certainly an investment that we're making lately. You know, I remember a time uh, in the book of Exodus where God's people, they were wandering in a desert. And at some point in the wandering, they thought, is it worth it? I'm not sure this is worth it. In fact, we know that they started complaining and grumbling, and would you believe they started asking to go back into slavery? They, they, they wanted actually to go back into, uh, under, under Pharaoh's rule, they would rather be there than wandering in the desert being provided for by their creator. Uh, a lot of work happens in the desert. This has felt like a desert time. Anybody felt like your life's a little bit of a desert lately? A lot of good work happens in the desert. Turns out that the desert is a really important place for God's people to find out who they are and to discover who God is. And so that's really where many of us are at right now, is in a bit of a desert place, a bit of a dry place, a place where we're just like, God, what are you doing? And I just, I want you to know, wherever you're coming at this whole church thing from today or wherever you're watching from online, um, God has something for you in the desert. He has something for you right here and right now. And in the desert is where you discover God, and and really it's where you discover yourself. Um, I don't know if you've ever discovered something unexpected before, uh, where you just, you're like, man, this was surprising. I I shared last week that we were putting in a yard uh, recently at our house, and part of putting in a new yard is doing the dirt work. And so uh, many of you know that I ran heavy equipment for a while, and so um, at that point, I had a bulldozer with a bucket on the front of it, and I was just moving dirt around and picking up brush and moving piles from here to there on the property. And at one point, I picked up a, a bucket full of brush, and it was up in the air, and I noticed that there was this really weird-looking stick that was hanging out of the bottom of the bucket. And so I turned off the bulldozer and I got out and I kind of got a closer look at it. And um, this was the stick that was hanging out of the bottom of the bucket of my bulldozer. Um, If you know anything about this, uh, this is no stick. (laughs) I believe if you're in the military, you're going to have to help me out here. This is like a mortar round of some kind. Um, It dated back to the 40s. And, and somebody had left it on the property, and you can see I, I nicely dented it with the bulldozer bucket. That's always safe, right? Dent the bomb with the dozer bucket. Um, and, and so I pick it up. I didn't honestly know what it was, and I carried it over to my buddy Jesse, who's uh, in the military. And I was like, dude, look what I found. And he's like, put that down, right? Because it's a bomb. You don't want to carry bombs around, especially ones that you've pinched 
with the bucket of your bulldozer. And so I, I put it on the ground, and he said, you need to call the EOD, you need to call the APD. And then, so I called all the, all the people. And uh, by the end of the hour, I had all the police were in my neighborhood and in my driveway. I had the airport police. I had the bomb squad that was out there. My, my neighbors are driving by snapping photos <laughs> with their iPhones. It was, it was awesome. Guess who moved into the neighborhood? So um, interesting moment of discovery where, you know, I'm just doing my thing, moving some dirt, and all of a sudden I encounter something with explosive potential. And it turned out that it was a fully live round. This was not something like a souvenir. It, it had the primer. It was ready to go off. Luckily, we didn't blow our legs off. So praise the Lord. But anyway, have you ever discovered something that you didn't know was coming in the story that we just read in Matthew 13? There's this man. And this man is uh, walking through a field and discovers something of great value. And I wonder for you, what do you value? What is something that you value maybe more than anything else? I don't know if you ever laid in bed at night and, and thought of different scenarios before. I, I don't know if this is just a me thing or a guy thing, but I lay in bed and I think of like, if somebody broke into my house, what would I do? Um, or, if, or if my house was going to burn down, what would I do first? And, and what would I grab first? And of course, you know, I've got a wife and kids. Grab the wife and kids first. That's always a good plan. But then are there any possessions I would grab first? I wonder for you, what would you grab first if your house was burning to the ground? Maybe it would be a photo album, you know, got to get the baby pictures, make sure we save that. Maybe, uh, you know, it's a safe deposit box somewhere that's hidden underneath your bed or in the closet somewhere. Uh, Maybe it's your Xbox. You're like, got to save the Xbox, got to save the cell phone, right? Got to save the iPad, your technology, maybe. Whatever it may be, what you would grab is the thing of greatest value, right? Because by grabbing something, you are not grabbing something else, right? By saying, this is what I would take first if the house were burning to the ground, you're actually saying, I'm going to let this thing over here go. So this is what this means. The value of something is demonstrated by what we will give up for it. That's what that means. You're willing to give up other things so you can get this one thing. So the value of that one thing, it, it actually shows you the value of it based on the things that you will give up for it. We recently bought a used Suburban, and this was a very specific kind of Suburban. It's a three-quarter ton Suburban. There weren't very many on the market, and so we paid a little bit more for this used Suburban because we wanted a specific kind, right? Like, we were willing to pay a little bit more. Now, you might see that cost as too much, but for us, we thought we were getting a great deal because we knew what we have. It turns out the word expensive is subjective, isn't it? I mean, what really is expensive, right? Like if I was like, hey, uh, there's a a pickup truck for sale. It's going to be $10,000. Some of you are like, oh, that's a lot of money. That's, That's expensive for a pickup truck. But if I said it's a 2020 Chevrolet Duramax diesel 4x4 with the extended cab and all the bells and whistles, you'd say, I'm going to find $10,000. I don't have it, but I'm finding it. I'm going to borrow it. I'm going to get a loan. I'm going to get 10000 because I will buy that truck. The value of something is demonstrated by what we are willing to give up for it. In the story, the man buys a field. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. So uh, back to the kingdom of heaven, just real briefly. We talk about this a lot. But the kingdom of heaven, it, Jesus talks about this a lot. It's simply the reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. 
There's something really powerful and valuable about God's reign and rule on earth as it is in heaven. And this is something God's people are all about displaying and experiencing. And the kingdom itself, the kingdom of heaven can come into the world. It also comes into you. And so when the kingdom is in you, it means there's more of God and less of you. Does that make sense? When the kingdom is alive in the life of a person, there's more of God, less of me. And it's a journey that we're on. We want more of God and less of us in our lives. And in this story, there's a treasure hidden in a field. Now, um, this is an interesting thing. We wouldn't think maybe to hide our treasure in a field. Maybe you've got like a redneck uncle from Alabama who does this, but, um, you know, it's like, best place to put your money is in a mayonnaise jar in the backyard, right? That's, we tend to put our money in banks up here in Alaska. So uh, you gain some interest, you know, it's safe in a bank. Uh, But this person put their money in a field. And this was something very common in their culture. They didn't have banks like we do. And so if you wanted to keep your money from being stolen or or or, or getting lost, you would actually put it in a container or or whatever it was that you had that was your treasure, that was your currency, and you would hide it in a field somewhere. Now, it wasn't uncommon that you may then go off to war or battle or something like that, and you may die in battle, and nobody knows where your treasure is. And then years later, someone's walking through your field, and they just stumble upon the treasure that you buried in the ground. Now, there's, a, there's an interesting uh, moment in this story. I mean, it says he covered it up. So uh, immediate integrity question that comes up, right? And Jesus totally skips over it. So we don't even get any answer on this. But uh, he does what most of us would do if we found hidden treasure in a field. Covers it up, right? Let's act like we didn't see that and go make an offer on the property, right? Let's act like we don't know what's in the ground. And that's exactly what he does. Uh, I want answers for that, but Jesus skips right over it. Apparently, it's not the point of the parable, so don't worry about that. Um, but here's the key thing. In the text, it says one really important thing. Don't miss this. It says, in his joy, he sells everything he has to acquire that property, which, which means one of two things. He sold everything. So it either means that this was a really expensive piece of property or that this guy was dirt poor right? Either it was really expensive, so, and he had lots of resources, or he was so poor that he just had to sell everything he had to acquire this property. Either way, this man was willing to do whatever it would take to get this piece of property, because to him, it was worth it. To him, it was going to be worth it to sell everything he had to get it. And this is the same thing that's true for us, and I think Jesus is making a point. If you're a believer in Jesus, here's the point. For believers— The sorrow of losing is eclipsed by the joy of gaining God's kingdom. Now, we've spent money on stuff before and not been excited about it, right? Does anybody jump for joy when you pay the power bill in the wintertime? Anybody just get stoked about that in Alaska? (laughs) I know I don't. I'm like, we're bleeding money. You know, turn turn the thermostat down to 50. Like, let's save some money. But... You know, I don't know about you, but we've spent money on things that we're not joyfully spending money on. And then there's other things in life. Have you ever joyfully spent some money on something? Just been excited about it? And you're just like, this is such a good deal. Historically, for us as Alaskans, there's one specific deal that uh, many of you have heard about. Um, after the Civil War, Secretary of State William Seward took an offer from the Russian government to purchase the state of Alaska on March 30th of 1867. And the agreed-upon price was, do you know what it is? Yeah, somebody, kinda, somebody said it. $7.2 million. 
for the state of Alaska. Now, how many of you right now, if somebody was like, hey, uh, price of Alaska, we're going to sell you the whole thing, 7.2 million bucks. If you'd be like, I don't have it, but I'm finding it. So the story goes on, if you've heard it before, the deal was known as Seward's Folly, right? Because it was such a dumb deal. This guy bought this Arctic barren wasteland and spent $7.2 million until they found that the ground was full of oil and gold. And now we all would say, what a, what a deal. This was no folly at all, you know? I'd like to shake Mr. Seward's hand, right? This was a really good deal for the state of Alaska. It turns out that there was something in the ground that people didn't realize was there. There was a value to this barren wasteland that we love called Alaska that people didn't really see. And even in their day, that $7.2 million was still a steal of a deal for the state of Alaska. He goes on to tell a story about a merchant. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So if he's a merchant, that means that this is his job and he is actively seeking out treasure. That's what he, he's a treasure hunter, right? He's looking for treasure. He wants to make money, and so he's searching for fine pearls. I'm not much of a pearl guy, but uh, pearls, once again, were uh, used as a way of, of getting things and trading and, and currency for them. And so uh, for them, this was something that he was after. And this brings up the fact that in this room and, and online, wherever you're watching this from, there are people that are in two categories. And the first category is this, those who stumble upon the kingdom like someone walking in a field. Like you're just going through life, living your life, doing your thing. Uh, and then one day you encounter the kingdom of God. You didn't, you didn't expect it. You weren't looking for it. But somebody sat you down and they said, hey, I want to talk to you about this Jesus person. And I want to talk to you about, um, you know, some of the things that you've gone through and, and some of where your life is today. And I want to talk to you about the grace of Christ. I want to talk to you about what he's done for you and who he is. And I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God, the future of the world that we find ourselves in. That the future is actually bright for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's hope for those who are in Christ Jesus in this hopeless seeming time. And, and you weren't expecting it and you were on pins and needles and you just thought, this, this is what I've been waiting for. You had no idea. The value of this message of the kingdom. So that is one type of person. Then the second type of person is those who search for it, like the merchant. Like you, you're here today because you're looking for something more. You, you want to find the truth of Jesus. You want to find the, the truth of this life. You want to find the meaning of your existence. And so you're actually seeking out answers, having deep spiritual conversations throughout the week. You're opening your Bible, right? You're, you're looking for the truth of God's kingdom. And so you're actually actively searching for it. So which one are you? Which one are you? And the thing about the guy who stumbles across the treasure is that he easily could have missed it, right? He easily could have missed the treasure. Had he stepped over a couple of feet or, or whatever or just not been paying attention, he would have missed the treasure. And this is true, is that the kingdom of heaven is hidden to many in the world today. It's still hidden. We are surrounded by people who know nothing of God's kingdom. There are people that you know that are in this city that literally have never heard the gospel, have never truly heard about who Jesus is, have never truly been presented the good news. There are people in our church gathering, in this room, and online today, many of you maybe, 
who you maybe are watching this because you're looking for some information and there's some interest, but you're still not sure you see the value of the kingdom of God. It's still somewhat hidden to you today. And when you think about Jesus, um, he showed up in a different way than what they'd expected, didn't he? Right? So Isaiah 53, 2, Isaiah is a prophet, and this is how he spoke of how the Messiah would show up, is that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, Jesus was your average Joe, right? He didn't look like anything special. And we know that about how he arrived, right? Born in a cave with a bunch of animals. That's a, that's a pretty lowly way to show up to the, to the earth, right? He shows up as not a political leader, but as a carpenter, just a blue-collar worker doing his job, right? He shows up not as a slave owner, but a servant to the people around him. Not as the political and military leader that the, the Jews expected their Messiah to come as, right? Here's the deal. When Jesus arrived, there was a new kingdom that was coming. And he was the king, and yet so many people missed it. Now, now I wonder, have you ever missed on, out on a good deal? Don't you just hate that feeling? Don't you hate the feeling? Like, oh man, I missed a good deal. Um, in fact, I saw something go on uh, Facebook Marketplace for sale the other day, and it was a really good deal, and uh, I missed it. And so you've got the per- first person that says, sent you a PM, sent you a message, right? And then about 50 people all type the same word after that person. Do you know what that word is? That's right. Next. Next. So I'm like, I don't even know if I need this, but next. I mean, everybody wants it. Clearly there's value. I, don't, I must need it, right? Next, put me in the, in the queue, right? I, I want this now. I didn't know I wanted this. But the kingdom of God's sort of like that. And the thing is, though, there is no next option when it comes to the kingdom. Like, it's hidden to so many people, but then there's going to be a moment that you and I stand before God and who we are and the reality or non-reality of our faith is, is, is declared right before our eyes. And there's no like, oh, now I get it. Next. Now I get it, God. Uh, uh, can I get a do-over, right? There is no do-over in the kingdom of God. We get today. This is the only day that you are promised, right, right here. You get this moment right now to figure out what your life is all about and who your king is. So the kingdom of heaven is like this merchant who is looking for these pearls, right? Finds the kingdom of God. And yet to many people, it's hidden. To many people, they're not even searching. And to many people, they will never even stumble upon it. Uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So here's what this is saying. First of all, that the kingdom of God is not complicated. I'm not giving you something complicated to understand. Jesus loves you so much, and he wants to spend the rest of eternity with you, and he's either your king or he's not. And the king you choose today will be the king that you choose in eternity. And that's the message. It's very simple. And the question is, well, why is it so simple. Here's the answer. The simplicity of the gospel keeps us from taking credit for what is rightfully God's. Do you know that if you're saved, if you're like, man, I'm a Christian today, do you know that you didn't do that? 
Uh, and praise God, I didn't do that. Here's what I've learned. I've been preaching for a little bit now. I've learned that I cannot change anyone's heart. And that my best sermon, where I get off the stage and I'm like, I think I killed it today, um, will not convince you of a God that you don't want to believe in. I just, I know that. I know my limitations. But you know who can? The Spirit of God. At the right time, in the right circumstances, at the right moment, when your heart is prepared to hear the truth, in that moment, you can be changed forever. You have found the treasure. And your life will never, ever be the same. And so what that does is it keeps us from thinking that we're the ones that saved ourselves. Or, or look, I did so much study, I figured God out. It finally made sense to me. Any clarity you have about God is a gift from God himself. Any wisdom that you have about God is a gift from God himself. Your ability to even want to choose what's good and right for you is a gift from God himself. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So we don't get to take credit for it at all. What we see here is that in this text, these two different people are in a process of discovery. One stumbled upon the treasure. The other is looking for the treasure. But this is something that would be a great way to describe our lives. It's a, it's a journey of discovery, isn't it? Uh, the Bible calls it sanctification. It's the journey of getting to know more of God and giving more of yourself to God. Again, more of the kingdom in your life, more of God, less of me. It's a process of discovery. I don't know about you, but um, have you ever struggled to find something? Have you ever ran out of something? This has been a season where um, a lot of things have been run out of. <laughs> we ran out of sriracha sauce about three months ago, and I thought the world was over. Any other sriracha fans in the room? A few of you? I'm like, I'm done. It's not worth it anymore. And so I think we went to Fred Meyer and Cars and Walmart. I was looking online. I could not find sriracha sauce, but praise the Lord. Two weeks ago, my wife succeeded in finding sriracha, so we are, we're moving forward. We're good. We're doing well as a family. But we were in a process of discovery. We wanted the thing that we couldn't find, and um, many of you have been there over the past five months, and I wonder for you, if your soul is dry right now, if you're in a season where you're like, yeah, um, I don't feel close to God. I feel like when I pray, it's empty. When I open the Bible, I just want to close it. Uh, I don't want to be around God's people. I don't want to go to church right now. I don't want to do these things. I don't want to do what's right. If you're there, do you know there's a reason for that? There's something in your soul that God wants to show you, something to discover within you. And you can either sit and wait to stumble upon the truth, or you can go after it aggressively. And I believe that if you go after it aggressively, you will find it. That's a promise. Uh, Jesus says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So here's my question. Let me be real with you. Does it bother you that your soul is dry? Does it bother you when God seems distant? And are you doing anything about that? If you read uh, the words of David, I love his heart about this. He goes through a season of his life that feels really dry, like it feels like God isn't speaking to him, like God has left him. And he talks about it. He's like, he's like, my soul is dry like someone who's wandering in the desert. Back to this whole desert thing. He, it's like he's thirsty, like he hasn't had a drink in months. And so he's crying out to God, and he's like, God, it's like my soul is thirsty. And, and it's almost like he's in anguish and pain because he feels like God is distant. What about you? What about us? 
I mean, is it, is it anguish when God is distant? Or, or have we just learned to cope with life like that? Have we just kind of figured out how to walk through life and, and just live with God at a distance? And, and have we become comfortable with God being at a distance? You know, if we don't want to seek after God, we might as well just give up on everything when it comes to our faith, when it comes to knowing more about him, when it comes to the church. That's really, we, we kind of have a decision to make when our soul is dry, will we seek after God or will we abandon him completely? 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty two says this, if the dead are not raised, in other words, if the truth of Jesus isn't true, if he doesn't bring dead souls to life, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. This would be a great way to describe a lot of people during COVID-19, right? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and drink for tomorrow we die. I, a lot of people in this season are just like, can I just binge, binge watch my way uh, through, through COVID-19? We're watching the show Alone. Have you seen Alone? We're on season four of Alone. It's intense. Don't tell me what happens. But this is our binge show right now. Uh, many of you might have different coping behaviors, which in the end, that's all that you have if the dead are not raised. I mean, if, if the dead are not raised, if Christ is not who he says he was, we might as well just Netflix our way to death, right? Or here, here's uh, Brian's translation of this text. You might as well get to digging or get to dying. It's time to look for the treasure, to seek for the truth, to seek after uh, what God wants to do in your life, or just give up. That's really what this text says. It's time to get to digging or get to dying. When it comes to um, digging in God's people, do you know that people in the world will be repelled from your digging? They'll see you digging. They'll criticize you. They'll be offended by you. And in fact, uh, 2 Corinthians 2 talks about this. And I love the message translation. It says this, in the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. That's good news for God's people. Through us, he brings knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. People breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those, keep going, on the way of salvation. So in other words, when it comes to you in the world, when you live like Christ and you live out the kingdom of God, people who are looking for the truth will see your life and they'll, they'll, it's like a scent of, of life, of salvation, right? And they're like, that, that smells good, right? Whatever you're doing, I don't understand it. I don't know Jesus. I'm not sure I understand the kingdom, but I want, I want to know more about it. So there's a certain crowd that that's how they respond to you. goes on to say, an aroma, aroma redolent with life, but those on the way to destruction treat us more like the stench from a rotting corpse. That's intense. So, so when you live, your life should be polarizing to the people around you. And I just want you to know, especially right here and right now, um, and I'm, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom, but I think it's going to be increasingly so for God's people. That our lives, for, for those of us who truly want to be followers of Jesus, will be more and more polarizing as the years move on from where we are right now. And it literally says to some people, your life will smell like death because the way that you, look, that you live is foolishness to them. And it shows them they're not ready to respond to the gospel. They don't want anything to do with God. And so when God's people live the kingdom, they're like, that smells like a rotting corpse. I want nothing to do with that. It smells like death to me, you know? 
And, and so for you, I want to ask you the question, is your life polarizing to those who are around you? Do people either go, man, I want more of that, or, or, or are they offended by it and repelled by it? Are you criticized for it? Most of us are like, I'd like to ride it in the middle if I could, right? Could I just not really offend, you know, maybe bring a few people to Jesus? That'd be kind of cool, right? But if I could just ride it in the middle, that would be great. Unfortunately, that's not how God's kingdom works. So, where's the tension in all of this? When we hear about this man willing to to sell everything he has to acquire this field, the kingdom of God, to do whatever it takes to, to fully be devoted to Jesus, and he's just all in, right? Where's the tension? I think here's the first thing that makes us tense is we want the treasure but not the blisters, right? The treasure's in the ground, but we don't want to dig. It's going to take effort and work, sacrifice. I don't like the whole selling everything he owns. And so we really don't want to do the work it's going to take to experience the kingdom of God in our lives and in the world around us. And so there's a tension there if if that's how we feel, right? The second tension is this. We always want to negotiate on the price, If you've ever bought something online, maybe you're like me. My first text or email is always, what's your bottom dollar? That's that's always my my question, right? What's your best price on this particular thing, right? So here's my question for you. Is Jesus a treasure or is he the treasure for your life? Is he one of many things that you treasure? Or is he the one thing that you grab when your house is burning down? It's a great way to describe how many people feel right now. You ever felt like your house is burning down, figuratively speaking? Like, my life is falling apart. It turns out that the thing that you turn to is your treasure. Whatever it is that you grab first, that's, that's your treasure. That's, that's your king. That's what matters the most to you. And to live in God's kingdom means that you get a king. And God says this, there will be no other gods before me. He's very clear about that. Scripture calls God a jealous God. He's not going to share his throne with other things in our lives. And so it puts us in a position where he's either our king or he's not. We like to think in shades of gray, right? Can't I be a decent human being and just stop with that, right? Can't I just try to pay my taxes and not be too much of a jerk to my siblings or whatever? Isn't that good enough? Like we think in shades of gray, whereas the kingdom of God is black or white. Either you're in the kingdom or you're not in the kingdom. It's pretty clear about that. Yet we want to negotiate on the price. So where are you negotiating the price on the kingdom of God? Maybe it's a teaching about forgiveness. And you're like, I would give up everything for God right now, but I will never forgive that person for what they did. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Maybe it's uh, what the Bible says about having to suffer for the kingdom. You're like, I like everything, but we ain't going to suffer. My family won't suffer. I won't suffer. That's, that is off the table for this whole Christianity part of my life. And you're like, I, again, we're, we're revealing our gods, right? Every time we hold something from God, we reveal our God to him. So maybe it's suffering. Maybe it's the command to go and share the gospel. And you're like, I'm just kind of awkward in front of people. And so I don't want to blow it, Right? I don't want to look, look uncomfortable, and I don't want to like, look weird, and I don't want people to not want to hang out with me, and so I'm, I'm just not going to do that part. I'm going to hold that away from God over here. Is that how you're negotiating on the price? Maybe it's money. Maybe your money is your God. It's a very practical, tangible thing, and you're like, God, I will do everything else. 
right? I will tithe my time. I will tithe my energy. I will tithe my Bible study, but I will not tithe my money, right? And so, so we, we negotiate with God, and we play these games. And the thing is, money's not good or bad. It just reveals our hearts. That's all it does. It's morally neutral. It just exposes us for what we really love, and that's why Jesus talks so much about money. Maybe it's God's view on human sexuality, and you're like, I like the whole Bible, except for that stuff. I want to push that to the side and and ignore those things. I'm going to negotiate on the price of God's kingdom. I want the kingdom. I don't want the king. And so you, listen, this, I, this, this feels like an intense sermon, but I'm calling everybody out here because I think, I think what COVID-19 is going to do is it's going to weed out the tire kickers in the church. And it's doing it right now. Like, can I assure you of something? There are people that you've seen at ACF that you will never see here again. They, they were here, they were in a routine, somebody was bringing them here, it was just sort of part of things, and there are people that they will never come back to church, and COVID-19 has kind of broken them out of the routine, and you know, it, it's, it's such a weird season, you guys. As a pastor, I don't know what to do with any of this. You know, I'm doing my best, and we're making decisions, but like, I can't tell if we're winning or losing, which I think is exactly where God wants me to be, because it's never been about me. And this is the beautiful thing, like, and it's scary, but I, I don't know. For those of you who are online, you might be home because your boss told you not to come to large gatherings and you can't. You might be sick or high risk. You might be just fearful of getting sick. Or maybe you're home because you're like, honestly, this whole, I think I can do Christianity alone and I don't need the community. I'll figure God out on my own. You know, I, I don't know why people, I don't know if you guys are here today because you want to make a political statement that you can gather in the church or because you're just like, I want a good coffee. You guys have great coffee. So I came to, I don't know why anybody's here. And the good news is I don't have to know. I don't need to know. But God knows. He knows who our king is. And this whole season that we're in is going to reveal our king. I spent way too much time on that point. Let's move on. Uh, the next reason that there's tension is we've all bought a lemon before, haven't we? Did you ever buy something and it just was not what you thought it was going to be? <laughs> right? They said, oh yeah, this thing's been maintained really well. It ran for 10 minutes and the motor blew up, you know? Here's the dirty little secret in Christianity. We have all wondered if God really is who he says he is. In our darkest moments, in those moments where it's just hitting the fan, we have gone, is God really who he says he is? Is he going to come through this time? Is he, is he real? And if you've been there or if you are there, if you're in a place of fear right now, I just want to tell you the only antidote for your fear is to walk in obedience. That's the only thing I've learned to do is when I don't feel it, I just need to do it and God shows up. And if you look through the scriptures at the most faithful people of the history of Christianity, what you'll find are people who didn't always feel it, but they chose to do it. They didn't follow their emotions. They didn't follow the crowd. They didn't look for, how many people are at church today? Should I go? Should I not go? You know, how many people are viewing online? Should I watch it? Should I not watch it? It was simply about them saying, if there's something God wants to do in my heart, if there can be more of God and less of me, I'm in. I'm showing up. I'm ready. Change me. Mold me, God. And so we have to walk 
in obedience. And the good news, once again, is that we don't know who's in and who's out. And this text goes on in verse 49 and says, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. So once again, not, not us. That's not our job. The Christians aren't supposed to separate the evil from the righteous. So if you felt like that's your job, that's not your job. If somebody else took the job of separating the evil from the righteous, you know, in you, like that wasn't their job. The angels have that job. And so we as the church, guess what? We just get to love people. We just get to share the gospel. We get to live on mission. We get to care for people in a time that people really need to be cared for. We don't have to determine who's in or out. We simply welcome people and love them like Jesus loves them. And I want you to do that outside of these walls. I also want you to consider doing that here as well. Do you know that, once again, there are some people going through hard things here at ACF. You have friends who are with you online who are going through really, really difficult things. And so this is what I felt like God said to me about this text. Share the gospel with your city, but don't forget your church. Like, yeah, go out to the city, but don't forget to display the kingdom of God with each other in the lives of your friends right here. We need you. I need you. Somebody here needs you to share the gospel with them. And I got, I got to be reminded of it. Anybody ever forget the good news? You ever wake up in the morning and you're like, yeah, there's no good news before coffee, right? There's no good news at six in the morning when I'm going to a job that I hate. There's just so, like we need to be reminded by each other what the good news is. And so I have three questions for you for reflection. The first is, do you know the value and see the value of God's kingdom? Do you see it? Because if you see it like this man, in your joy, you will give up everything to get it. It's simply the question of, do you see the value of God's kingdom on earth and in your life? Do you really want for there to be more of God and less of you? And if you do, then you'll give up anything to get it, unless you don't see the value, right? Like, for instance, let's say that you like have a, have a job that's like a really, really boring job. We've all had boring jobs. Let's say you have the most boring job on earth and you got to go to work today. Is it worth it? You might say, well, no. Well, let's say you're making $1,500 an hour to lick stamps. How many of you be like, I'm going to lick stamps all day long? Yep, $1,500 an hour. Love licking stamps. It's my favorite thing. Lick stamps till the day I die. Love it, Right? Went to college to lick stamps. That's what my, my major's in is licking stamps. Like, I love licking stamps. I'm the best stamp licker in the world. I'm gonna, anyway, you'd be like, I'm going to lick stamps because it's $1,500 an hour. Once again, we do whatever it takes for something that we see the value in. Number two, are you searching or are you stumbling? Right? Are you searching for the kingdom? If your soul is dry, you're feeling like God is distant, you're like, man, I just... I'm not connecting with God right now. I don't feel like he's real in my life right now. I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to open the Bible. Are you just hoping to stumble on something better at some point? Are you waiting for God and his love to to discipline you and draw you back into a place of neediness where all you have is him? Or, Or would you go on an exploratory mission in your life just to discover more of Jesus because that's really what your life is all about? Are you searching or are you stumbling? The third, this is maybe the most important, is what's your tap out price? If you ever bought a home with your real estate agent, you set the price that you're not willing to go over, right? You're like, all right, 
We've approved for this much. We can't go above. We hope it's cheaper, but we can't go above this. So within your hands, over here is God's kingdom, and over here is the one thing that you don't want to give him, and that is your tap-out price. You say, God, I want, I want your kingdom. I want to follow you. I want you know, to, to spend eternity with you. I want to see your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Here it is, God, but this will never be yours. I'm just not willing to let it go. That is your tap-out price. You see, God's not interested in finding church people to go to a building once a week to give a few dollars to do a few good deeds to get God off his back. God's interested in followers who would gladly give up everything to experience the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And there is joy in it. There's a joy when you, when you take what's in this hand and you give it to God. There is a joy in that. In fact, Psalm 4-7 says this, You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. I love that. He basically says, I have more joy in my heart when I invest my life in the kingdom than my drunk friends have on a Friday night. When their grain and their wine abound. I got more joy in my heart giving that thing, whatever it is, to God than my friends have when they're completely plastered They think they have joy, but I have joy when I give up this one thing to God. So I want to push you. What is that one thing? Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is that that is the the tap out price? It's the thing that you've said, man, God, you won't put your hand on this. Can I just assure you of something? That's all God wants to talk to you about today. I, I would put it like this. So I'm married to my wonderful wife, Amanda. Let's say, this would be terrible, but let's say I decided to mess around with another woman. Okay? And let's say she finds out about it, and I don't know it. And then tonight, I'm going to take her out on the town, right? I'm going to wine her and dine her. We're going to go downtown. We're going to go to Simon and Seaforts. We're going to go on a walk. You know, we're gonna, I'm going to show her the town. We're going to go to a movie. I'm going to show her a really great time. It's going to be an amazing night. What is she thinking about the entire time we're together? The other woman, Right? And in fact, if you read the book of Exodus and, and throughout uh, the Old Testament, this is how God talks about Israel, is that Israel over the course of generations would be faithful to God, and then Israel would wander off after the way that the Bible describes it, would wander after other lovers. And that's how we work. That's what's in the other hand. It's another lover. It's what's our king. It's the thing we don't want to give God. And so The way to buy the field, if you want to buy the field, if you want to be like the man that bought the field, simply be willing to give that thing up, whatever it is, to see more of God and less of you in your life. Here's what that looks like. If God wants for you to go through a really difficult time as a a couple so that he can make it more of God and less of you, you say, bring it on, God. If, If God wants to walk you through a difficult diagnosis, medically speaking, And it's going to be hard. And there's going to be more of God and less of you. You say, God, give it to me. If God wants you to go through five months or six months or two years of stinking COVID-19, you say, more of God, less of me. Bring it on, God. If that's what it's going to take to change me and to change the world, Father, bring it on. If God wants you to have lots of money for his kingdom, you say, bring it on, God. If God wants you to have very little money for his kingdom, you say, bring it on, God. 
I'll take it. I want to buy the field. I want to do whatever it takes to walk into your kingdom. So God, do whatever you want in my life. It's all yours. And so what is the one thing for you today? I love what Keller says. He says, what you treasure will ultimately require you die for it. Now listen to this. Jesus is the one treasure who died for you. Do you know Jesus didn't negotiate on the price? Right? He went to the cross for you and me. He wasn't like, isn't there a cheaper way? Can't we meet in the middle somewhere? They take a few lashings. I take a few lashings. We figure this whole sin thing out. And he says, I will take all the sin of humanity and I will drink it down on a cross. That's what Jesus does for us. He loves us that much and he loves you that much. And you can trust him with that one thing. So would you bow your heads for a moment? I want us to consider doing something. And uh, would you just, wherever you're at right now, if you're watching online and if you're driving, pull over. But would you just lay your hands on your lap and just clench your fists? And I want you to imagine that that one thing is in your hand, the one thing that you've been unwilling to trust God with. Father, we know whatever this is that um, we've struggled to think that you're big enough for it. We've struggled to believe that you have our best interest in mind. God, we have a past with, with you or with other Christians or with the church, God, and it all comes into play with trusting you with whatever this is. But today, Father, we want to we declare you as king over our lives. We don't want to fool ourselves into thinking we can have multiple kings or multiple gods. You are the one true God. And we know that you love us. And God, we can believe that you love us because the cross says so. The cross says that you are trustworthy with whatever this is. And I just, if you're ready today, would you just open your hand just as a symbol of releasing that thing to God. God, we trust you with it. Father, for those in the room or those watching, we just want to start with our hearts. We release our hearts to you, God. We want to trust you with our eternity, trust you with the meaning of our lives. We want to release our relationships to you, God. Our time, our treasure, our talents, all of it's yours. Father, you love us more than we could ever know. So God, would you just impress it upon us today how much you do love us. Give us us your grace in moments where we're weak, God. We know that when we're weak, you are strong, and we trust that even in moments where we're unfaithful, God, you are always faithful, and we believe that today. And we ask for more of you in our city, more of you in our nation, and more of you in the world. Father, do what you can do, and only you can do, to draw us to you. That's our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.